This week I was reading a, a little book titled The Wealth Conundrum, and the author wrote this. He said, all my life I've heard preachers bang their shoe on the pulpit and preach about tithing, demanding that people tithe. And I figured they gave those sermons so that the pastor could feed his kids because the, all, the message was always delivered with guilt attached. So this morning I'm going to preach on the subject of tithing. And I want to assure you I have no plans of taking my shoe off and banging it on the pulpit. And I, I have no plan on uh, filling you with guilt, making you do something that you don't want to do. Uh, whether you tithe or not, my kids are well fed. Uh, I'm well fed. I can live off the fat of the land for, for quite a while. Uh, it's not my guilt to use, uh, it's not my plan to use guilt to compel you to give. The scripture says very clearly that we should all give not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a, a cheerful giver. So we're going to be looking at several scriptures today, but I, I want to begin by making this maybe for you controversial claim, and that is this. My understanding, and many other theologians that I trust, is that as Christians living under the, the new covenant established by Jesus, we do not have to tithe. You do not have to tithe. So we can let the air out of the, the room a little bit. You do not have to tithe. Join me as we pray. Uh, Lord, we ask you to instruct us by your spirit and by your word. We ask that you'd reveal to us what it is you want us to know. We ask that you would bend our hearts towards you so that we might be who you've called us to be, that we might do what you've called us to do, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we're going to look at a, a couple different scriptures, and we're going to begin where the subject of tithing was first introduced in the scriptures. For that, we need to go back to the book of Leviticus. In context, remember, God has rescued his people from Egypt He's bringing them through the wilderness. He takes them to Mount Sinai. God calls Moses up the mountain. And there God imparts to Moses the law, the laws that are to govern his people as a nation, a, a chosen people set apart unto God. And so it's on the, on the mountain that, that Moses receives this law from God that he is to pass on to, to Israel. So Leviticus 27.30, this is the very last chapter, the very last verses of Leviticus. 27 verse 30. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. If a man redeems any of his tithe, he must add a fifth of the value to it. The entire tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod, will be holy to the Lord. He must not pick out the good from the bad or make any substitutions. If he does make a substitution, both the animal and its substitute become holy and cannot be redeemed. 
These are the commands the Lord gave Moses on Mount Sinai for the Israelites. So in this passage, we learn the definition of tithe. That's probably a word that you've heard many times in church. There's a definition, a specific definition of the word tithe. A tithe literally means a tenth part. A tenth. Every tenth animal, God said, that passes under the shepherd's hook is holy unto the Lord. That means is to be set apart to the Lord. Every tenth bit of produce, every tenth fruit, every tenth grain is holy to the Lord, is to be set apart unto the Lord. We need to just take a a note that tithing is not synonymous with giving. Tithing and giving are, are words that are not interchangeable. They are two different things. To tithe is to give, but to give is not necessarily to tithe. Tithing is giving a specific amount in proportion to all that God has provided you. To tithe is to give 10% specifically of all that God has entrusted you. So the Israelites are an agrarian society, and so their tithe is in the form of produce. It's in the form of flocks and in the form of herds. And and as we just read, the law provided them the opportunity to withhold their tithe, to withhold an animal. But to do so, they had to pay the the value of that animal 120% if they wanted to withhold it. From the beginning, God anticipated that his people were going to try and to manipulate this command and try and like wiggle out from under the burden of this command. Notice what he said, you must not pick out the good from the bad or make any substitutions. If you make a substitute, both the substitute and the original are holy unto the Lord. Now you've got to give two if you try and play funny games. In other words, don't look through your 10 apples and pick out the one with the worm in it and give that unto the Lord. And don't look at your 10 sheep and find the one that is the scrawniest, the weakest, the sickest, and give that as your tithe. This would be dishonoring to God. This would not be in spirit, in the spirit of of love and giving that God intends. We just illustrated it. If I looked through my roses, and I gave Karen the sad one, the one that she beat up, uh, this would not be honoring to her. It would be dishonoring. It wouldn't communicate love. So God is anticipating that the Israelites are going to try and slough off their defects, slough off the, the leftovers to him. And he says, no substitutes. Unlike us, For Israel, the tithe was mandatory. It was mandatory, and it was a good thing. This is is a thing that taught them obedience. It taught them life in a theocracy where where God is the the president, and it taught them to to obey everything that they they heard from him. Uh, It was a good thing, but there was a problem with making this a mandate. When we do things because we are forced to, it doesn't always capture our heart. Remember God, we said last week, doesn't want our money. He doesn't need our money, but he does want our heart. 
This is plain enough to us on, on multiple levels. It's like mandating that somebody go on a date with you. You know, like, you must go on a date with me, and because they have to, they go on a date with you. Does that thrill you? Does it excite you that this person is going on a date with you because they have to, but they really don't want to? Of course not. It's like mandating that your, your spouse give you a kiss. You must kiss me every day. Does that, that fill you with uh, joy and excitement if you know that they really would rather not, but they're doing this because they have to? Of course not. Does God want us to, to give to him because we have to, because we are, are mandated to? If we don't want to, God wants our heart. So in the first covenant, the Israelites had to tithe. A tithe was very similar to a, a tax in that respect. Some would give joyfully, I'm sure, but many would give reluctantly. Many would give under compulsion. Many would be trying to wiggle out from this, this mandate. The second covenant, the one that we now enjoy, the new covenant, is so much better. We don't give because we have to. We give out of the overflow of our heart out of our love for God, out of gratitude for all that he has done for us. In Israel, the tithe served a very specific purpose. There were 12 tribes, not five, there were 12 tribes. And uh, one of the tribes, the Levites, were set apart to uh, minister in the tabernacle, later to minister in the, the temple they did not receive an inheritance. They were not allotted any land. They weren't allotted any animals, any produce. And so they were entirely dependent on the other tribes to provide for them. And so the tithe was given unto the Lord, and then God gave instructions for the tithe to be used for the funding of the ministry and for the support of the Levites. Today, we don't have a, a mandatory tithe. We have voluntary giving but it serves a very similar purpose. We recognize that we are giving unto God when we, we give our gifts, and then God directs those gifts to be used for the purposes of ministry. He directs those gifts to be used for the livelihood of those who make their, their living from the gospel. Recognizing that our giving is voluntary, the scope of the ministry, the scope of the mission is entirely dependent on how much we all collectively decide to voluntarily give. So this past year, just recently, we had to make a decision in consistory. We looked at the money that was given this past year, and, and we had to make a few cuts because we didn't have enough money that was voluntarily giving. And so one of the things that we cut was a, a ministry called Words of Hope. Uh, Words of Hope broadcast the gospel and in some of the, the most closed countries in the world, broadcast the gospel over radio waves. It's a wonderful ministry, uh, but we withheld our support this year. And, and let me just put as a parenthesis, this is not about guilt, all right? This is not about guilt. I'm just informing you. Uh, the reason that is, is because all of us collectively made a decision to, to voluntarily use our money in some other ways uh, not to, to send it to words of hope. Now, you're probably thinking, that's not a fair statement to make, and it's not. 
Because like last night when Karen and I ordered Domino's pizza, uh, we did not sit down and say, we're going to order Domino's instead of sending money to Words of Hope. Like, that wasn't even on our, our radar. But the, the practicality of the decisions we make is every spending decision that we make impacts the scope of the, the mission and the ministry. For us, it's voluntary. We choose to do this. For Israel, it was not. If an Israelite would withhold their tithe, according to God, they were stealing from him. Listen to this passage from Malachi. This is chapter 3, verse 6. God, through the prophet Malachi, says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and you have not kept them. Return to me, God says, and I will return to you. But you ask, how are we to return? And God says, will a man rob God? And yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you that you will not even have enough room for it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops. And the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. And then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord. And then skipping ahead a few verses to verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence, Concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name, they will be mine, says the Lord Almighty, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. So it's interesting to me, after receiving this rebuke, the people got together and they talked about it. Talked about what, what are we going to do? I imagine husbands and wives having conversations. What, what should we do in response to this? The people talked and the Lord listened, and the Lord took notes. There was a scroll called the Scroll of Remembrance, and he wrote down in that scroll the way people were responding, those who were honoring him by repenting of robbing him. So we turn to the New Testament. We've been in the Old Testament. We turn to the New Testament. We are no longer, as I said, mandated to tithe, but there's a, a lot of... Um, direction given to us. This is my understanding of, of giving from the, the New Testament. Our giving is to be voluntary. Our giving is to be intentional. The scripture says what you have decided in your heart, this shouldn't be an afterthought. We are to, to think through this and make conscious decisions. Our giving is to be intentional. Our giving is to be done discreetly, not for the purpose of being seen by others, our given, giving is to be prompted by the love of God. Our giving is to be joyful. Our giving is to be cheerful. 
God doesn't mandate for us a, a set amount, but he does listen and he does observe. He's not calculating the percentage of our income that we offer him, but I do believe he's calculating the percentage of our heart that we're offering him. My understanding of the scriptures in the New Testament is that we don't have to tithe. We get to tithe. It's very different. We don't have to tithe, but we do get to tithe. We are invited to tithe. Now, on one hand, maybe it feels like a relief to you that, that we don't have to tithe. When I started the service off and said, Christians don't have to tithe, you don't have to tithe, maybe, maybe your internal reaction was like, phew. But on the other hand, I actually think what we are being asked to do is much more difficult. Voluntary giving is much more difficult because nobody is mandating what you have to do. Now it is entirely a matter of the heart. I, I think it's similar to eating. I would be so much better off probably if somebody had authority over my eating. Like there were combinations on the refrigerator, on the cupboards, and I didn't know them. And somebody else, you know, would open the refrigerator and give me a set amount. And if someone else was in control of that, I'm sure eating for me would be much easier. But but that's not the case. I'm responsible for what I choose to eat and what I don't choose to eat. The same thing is true with giving. We are responsible. It is a, a heart matter. It's a heart decision. Given that we are not mandated, if you're married, you are not mandated to kiss your spouse. You don't have to do it. But do you still do it? Why? You choose to do it as an expression of love. So it is with our giving. We turn to the New Testament and Jesus mentioned tithing once. In all four Gospels, he mentioned it once. In Matthew 23, verse 23, listen to his words. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. When it came to tithing, the Pharisees were so legalistic that they were even tithing their, their cup of dill and mint and cumin, trying to parse out 10% of their, their dill. It would be like us going to our penny jar, saying, I'm, you know, I'm really committed to tithing. I'm going to tithe out of my penny jar. They were so scrupulous about this. As Jesus said, when it comes to much more important things like love and mercy and faithfulness, you turn a blind eye, but boy, when it comes to that tithe, you've got it down to the last grain, the last bit of your spice. That's it. That's all Jesus says about tithing. It's never brought up again in the rest of the New Testament, not once. So it's fair to ask, if so little is said about tithing in the New Testament, why are we having this conversation? Why this sermon dedicated specifically to the subject of tithing? Well, there's four reasons. Number one, 
while Jesus didn't talk about tithing, he talked a lot about money. In fact, one person said that he talked more about money than any other subject except the kingdom of God. Talked more about money than any other subject except the kingdom of God. And even when he talked about the kingdom of God, he often used money as a metaphor. The kingdom of God is like a, a master who's going on a journey and he calls his servants to him and he entrusts to them three different amounts of money. To one, he gives them 10 talents of money, to another, five talents of money, to another, one talent of money, and then he goes away, and then he returns, and he asks, how have you spent my money? How have you invested my money? Jesus talks a lot about money. According to Jesus, money matters. What we do with his money entrusted to us matters. If you are a a follower of Jesus, you should have a different relationship to money than people who are not followers of Jesus. Because our orientation has changed. Our relationship to money has changed. When it comes to money, there's only a couple reasonable things you can do with it. I mean, you can do origami or start a fire, but, but there's only three reasonable things that you can do with it. You can spend it. You can save it and you can give it. That's it. These are our options with money. Spend it, save it, and give it. And the formula that we typically follow, the formula that that people who have no relationship with Jesus often follow, is, is exactly that. Spend it first. Spend it on my wants, spend it on my needs, and then I have a sum left over. And with that sum left over, I I make a decision, how much do I want to save? And then with the leftover of the leftovers, now I've got this little piece of the pie that I decide, do I want to give? To what do I want to give? How much of this little piece of the pie do I want to give? I think God invites us to flip that formula. Give it. As I said earlier, giving is called to be intentional. For the Israelites, it was, they were to give of their first fruits. Don't wait to see like how big the, you know, the, the yield's going to be. You give of your first fruits. You give of the, the best. For New Testament believers, it says everyone should give what they have already decided in their heart to give. So we're actually to sit down and to think about this and decide this is how much I want to give. This is what will be sacrificial giving for me. We give first. You can see why it makes sense. If we aren't giving first, then we're we're spending on everything we we need, everything we want, and then when there's only a little left over, naturally we we come to the conclusion, I can't afford to give. Well, no, we can't afford to give because we've already made some, some other decisions without giving in mind. We give first, and then with what's left over, we make our spending decisions and our saving decisions. Second reason we're having this conversation, there is no other idol, I don't believe, greater than the idol of money that wars for our hearts. I took a note while we were singing, there was one line, uh, I won't bow down to idols. Money wants you to bow down to it. And we are so susceptible to it. Jesus was very clear, you cannot, cannot love God and love money. 
Those two cannot happen simultaneously. Either you will love the one and hate the other, be devoted to one, and despise the other. Money wars for our heart. And so if that's true, that's going on, how do we win this wrestling match that we are all in with the love of money? Well, one of the greatest ways to perform a reverse on the love of money is through the act of giving. That's how we loosen its grip on our heart. And when we choose not to give, not to give sacrificially, we place ourselves in a vulnerable position. We are very easily pinned by the idol of the love of money. Simply stated, giving is good for our heart. It's good for our heart. Number three, the third reason we're having this conversation is what we've already said. The scope of the mission of what we're trying to do the purposes that God has called us to, to be about, the scope of the mission, the scope of the ministry is directly related to how much we, all, we are all willing to voluntarily contribute to that mission. It would be an amazing blessing to come to the end of the year and to look at what was given that year and to recognize people are, are giving sacrificially. And now we have these funds that we are responsible for going forward. What more can we do? What, what ministry might we add that, that we aren't doing? Instead of sending $2,870 to Words of Hope, maybe we could send them $5,000. And that would be a beautiful thing. Finally, the reason this conversation is important is because God has made some extraordinary promises around the subject of giving. Hear me very clearly, we do not give to get. This is not about giving to get. We're not in the prosperity business where, where I'm trying to sell you some line, just give and, and you will be rich. That's not what this is. But God has given us promises. He has said, test me and see if I don't bless you. He has said, whoever can be trusted with a little, I know I can trust them with a lot. He has said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I've received a lot, and I can tell you, it's a blessing. And he's saying it's even a greater blessing to give. I want to close with a, a story. Uh, when I was in seminary, we had the opportunity to go down to Mexico and visit um, some of our missionaries down there where the Reformed Church has been working for, for decades and we were down in the southern part of Mexico, and we were able to go to this remote village church and, and have a, a worship service, and it was such a great experience. Fortunately, they, there was someone on, that was with us that could translate, and so we kind of knew what was going on, and the, the worship was, was wonderful. But the thing that I remember the most was the offering. It, it just There was no one that got up and said, now is the time for offering, but they all on cue kind of knew when it was time, and so... We, there's this song that people are singing, and as people are singing, people started to come forward, and they would put their gifts over in the corner, and, and some person brought like three eggs, and another person brought a chicken, and some people brought, brought some coffee, and some people brought some money, and over in the corner, these gifts started to, to pile up, and the thing that stood out to me, two things, one, like I knew these people, for them, Daily life was a struggle. We had been at one of their houses and they served us black beans and rice and, 
And afterwards, the, the missionary we were with just told us that they spent like a week's wage to, to give us that meal. Like these are people who just struggle to get by, and yet they're so incredibly giving. That struck me. And the second thing that struck me was the joy. It was like a party. And the, people were so happy and, and cheerful. It was exactly the passage from 2 Corinthians, to give joyfully and cheerfully. By comparison, we are rich beyond measure. We are rich beyond measure. But instead of voluntary, sacrificial giving being easier for us, I think because of our affluence, it's actually harder. We are in a spiritual battle for our heart, and our enemy seems to be using our affluence against us. So the conversation we all need to have, maybe you need to have as a family, is at what point for you does giving become sacrificial? Where it's not just the leftover of the leftovers, but we're making a conscious decision. This is what we feel God is calling us to give. Join me as we pray. Lord, I've heard it said many times that, that we can't outgive you. Lord, I've certainly experienced that to be true in my life. We thank you that uh, you do pour out so many blessings upon us. Lord, we ask that you would give us courage to take a, a step forward uh, in our giving. Lord, help us not be uh, moved by guilt, uh, but by mo be moved by your spirit. And if your spirit speaks to us, Lord, help us be quick uh, to respond. And we pray that you'd give us wisdom and discernment so that we would use your gifts that you've entrusted us for the purposes that you call us to, to give them. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.